uh, as we start breaking down this chapter, we're going to take a few weeks and look at the uh, love chapter, as we call this uh, chapter in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13. Dr. Carl Menninger said, Love is the medicine for the sickness of the world. Love cures those who give it. It cures those who receive it. Love is a good medicine. It truly is. It's been said that the three most powerful words in the English language are, I love you. Now, our society confuses love in a tremendous way. You do not want to get your uh, definition of love from Hollywood by any means or from uh, our culture. Uh, they confuse it with things like sex or money or gifts. Also, the world confuses love with a puddle, like it's something you fall into. And it's not something you fall into, nor something you fall out of. Love is an action verb. It is a choice that we make. So most people don't understand love, and some even fear it, because they've never seen it done well. But despite its counterfeits, despite its misunderstandings, despite the even abuses committed in the name of love, the world is in desperate need of love. I'm talking about the real thing that it talks about here in 1 Corinthians 13. We need to see love, we need to hear it, we need to feel it and experience it in our lives. And we need to know how to pass it on to others who need it as well. To help us understand that, I want to work through these first few verses here in 1 Corinthians 13. It's a very familiar passage. We've talked about it before and we probably will again. But we need to be reminded regularly as we explore this passage to determine if we have the type of love that Paul is talking about in this passage. Have we heard it so often that we no longer think uh, about what the words mean? And that's why we need this reminder, I think, because we're familiar with the verses, I'm sure. Many of us read it a lot, but I'd like to revisit it. So let's look at verse uh, 1, starting at verse 1 of chapter 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, and have not charity, and become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Now, as we know, the word charity in this text literally means love. And so we could insert the word love here. Uh, the idea of God's type of love in our life, and I want to talk to you tonight just for a few minutes here about the greatest of these, which is charity. Father, I ask you to use this tonight. Help us to do a self-inventory as to whether we have the type of love that you would have for us to have in our lives. and pray in Jesus' name, amen. Here's a simple outline of 1 Corinthians 13. We see the preeminence of love in verses 1 through 3, what we just read. We see the practice of love in verses 4 through 7, and then we see the permanence of love in verses 8 through 13. And so what is, what is love? What is love? Is, a, is it a feeling? Is it butterflies in the stomach? Is it an emotional attachment? What kind of love is Paul talking about here in 1 Corinthians 13? The word charity really literally means love in action. It is not just an emotion. It is our heart reaching out to others. Now, we use the word charity today. What do we think of? Um, it's about the end of the year and taxes are coming up soon. So now's the time we take all our old clothes and dump them off at Goodwill and write them off for three times their value, right? For our tax, don't do that. But uh, some folks do that. 
and uh, that's what we think of charity, uh, giving something to our, or money to organizations or goodwill. Uh, these, uh, these can be Christian love in action, but Paul here is demanding so much more. The word he uses for charity here, or love, is agape. Now, there are four Greek words. There's actually like seven, but there's four that are used in literature uh, for love that we need to know about. There's euros, uh, uh, that's uh, sexual love. We get our word erotic from that. Uh, not, this is not used in the New Testament at all. There is storge, that is uh, friendly affection. That word is used in the New Testament as a love that exists between believers in Christ. Romans 12.10 uses that word when it says, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. Mainly that word is used in writings when it's uh, the reciprocal tenderness between a child and his parents. And then there's phileo. This is natural affection. This love speaks of uh, fondness or liking. Uh, phileo is something that is natural. You see somebody and they, uh, you, you immediately like them for the way they look or the way that you connect over conversation. That is phileo. When joined with the word adelphos, which means brother, that means brotherly love. That's where the word Philadelphia comes from. It is used in the New Testament for our love for God and for others. But then you go a little deeper and you get to agape, self-sacrificing love. This word was not used before the New Testament. It is a unique description of God's love for us. Agape love is that love that reaches out to another person with no strings attached. It's a love that sacrifices itself on behalf of the one that is loved with no thought of any return. It's the word that Paul uses in our text here tonight in 1 Corinthians 13. It's a love that starts with God comes down to us, and then moves out from us to other people. The problem with 1 Corinthians 13 is that it's so often read and heard that it loses its power to move us. But the point of this passage could be summed up in this. Whatever I do, whatever I say, it's useless without love. That's the point of the text that we read. There are three verses I want to look at tonight, and each one explains a different aspect of that statement there. Whatever I do, whatever I give, whatever I say, it's all useless without love. And so we first see that love is greater than eloquent communication. Look at verse number one. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. How many of you are bilingual? Just out of curiosity. Do we have anybody? Oh, I have one right there. Uh, one right there, bilingual. Uh, have you ever l tried to learn a foreign language uh, as an adult? I uh, was bilingual, kind of. Um, I've lost much of my mother tongue. English is my second language, um, and I've lost most of the first. I can still, I can noch bissle schwätze wie sel, I kann's mehr verstehen, aber ich kann nicht so viel schwätze wie kann verstehen. So I can understand a little, uh, I can understand much more than I can talk, uh, but it's easy to lose that, and I've lost much of it in inability to speak anyway. Uh, it's not easy to learn or maintain a different language. But here it's interesting because it says, though I speak with the tongues of men, anthropos, this is talking here general, generically to include all human individuals. The point that Paul's making here is that if you could speak every language on earth, the uh, tongue of men, now think about that for just a second. Stop and think about how valuable you would be to governments 
and to humankind in general, if you could speak every language on earth, that'd be something, wouldn't it? Uh, there's some people that know two, three, four, even five, six languages. That's incredible. But to know every language on earth would be an incredible thing. You would be the greatest linguist in the world. And the Bible says it'd be absolutely worthless without love. Though I speak the tongues of men and angels. He even went beyond that. Forget all the uh, languages in the world, even the tongues of angels, and it would be worthless without love. Matter of fact, it's worse than without than worthless. You'd be annoying. You'd be super annoying without love. The words sounding brass are important here. Brass comes from the word kalkos. It's an old word that refers to metal in the original language. It's specifically brass and copper that's infused with some tin added into it. And the tin would cause this metal to have a hollow, empty sound when beaten. And that's why Paul added sounding to it as well. The Greek word echeo, it, where we get our word echo, the noise that reverberates or echoes. And uh, used together, this is portraying the endless beating, hollow-sounding beating, and it echoes on and on, and it would be hollow, it would be irritating, it would be annoying. This was taken from the pagan world in Corinth here. Uh, they, the, in, in their pagan worship, they would beat on these metal uh, drums like this to help their drug and wine-induced worship. Everyone would know the reference who read this. Everyone was used to hearing that constant clanging in the society at that day, and it was uh, always going on. This represented a super spiritual people who demonstrated no love. But then Paul goes on a little further. He, he calls it a not only sounding brass, but a tinkling cymbal. Uh, tinkling is al aldezo. It's a war cry that they use to go into battle. Uh, symbol comes from the Greek word for symbol, so used together. It's a constant, loud clashing of symbols. You know what they are, right? Those big plates that crash together. How would you like that? Just on and on and on and on. Sounded, uh, this, what it was really is the sound that it's a time to go fight. So the person described here doesn't make you want to love him. It makes you want to punch him in the face just to make him stop making this annoying sound. And it's the opposite of showing love. This is a picture of someone who might be eloquent, but they have no love. And Paul's saying it's worthless. There's nothing without love. Now, the recipients of this letter would take note of this because eloquence was greatly admired in ancient Greece. Athens had its philosophers uh, that would hold their listeners spellbound for hours. Paul himself, if you remember, presented the gospel on Mars Hill in Acts 17, but without love, eloquence means nothing. That's what the Bible tells us. He goes on, love is greater than spiritual gifts in verse 2. Read with me if you would. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Here Paul mentions three spiritual gifts, and we don't have time now, but in 1 Corinthians 12 it talks about them at length, the chapter before this. Prophecy refers to the ability to declare God's truth in a powerful, life-changing way. Knowledge involves the deep understanding of the Word of God. And faith here is the ability to trust God for great things. These three gifts are all from the Holy Spirit. Yet without love, the person who has them is nothing. That's what he says, I am nothing. And though I have the gift of prophecy, he said. 
This is the, a communication gift, and it's one that was so prominent in the transitional stage of the early church. Both Balaam and Caiaphas had, were enabled to prophesy, but both were devoid of love, and it profited neither one of them. Love is an indication of a new birth. Prophecy is not. Uh, love is a proof. Remember, Jesus said this, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. That's one of the proofs of the new birth. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warns those on the day of judgment, Lord, uh, he says about people that will stand before the Lord at the final day and say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? He says, depart from me, I never knew you. Because you can prophesy, and that's not an evidence of the new birth, love is. Without love, prophecy is nothing. Now, you might not only uh, possess the great uh, gift of communication, but also the gift of comprehension. Though I understand all mysteries. Also, this is talking about a grasp of the Scripture and all knowledge. Now, God has made His truths in the Bible known. The Bible uh, actually breaks it down in Hebrews 1, uh, verse 1, at sundry times and in diverse manners. For example, in the Old Testament, many things were not revealed in that time, but they were revealed unto the holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit, it says in Ephesians 3, 5. But just say even though those things aren't, weren't all revealed then, but just say, for, uh, for instance, that you would have all these mysteries in hand. That's what he says here. If I understood all mysteries and you had all knowledge, yet you were devoid of love, he says it would mean nothing. That's something. We put a lot of stock in knowledge, don't we? Put a lot of stock in understanding, and yet he says without love, you have nothing. So not only the great gifts of communication... Though I have the gift of prophecy and the gift of comprehension, though I understand all mysteries. But what about great gifts of confidence? He says, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains. This does not refer, by the way, to saving faith here specifically. This is talking about miracle working faith. Without love means nothing. These are some really bold statements that Paul is making here. Look at the wording. All mysteries. All knowledge. In other words, if you knew everything about everything, you have no. If you don't have love, you're nothing. Nothing. That's that's a pretty sweeping statement. Suppose tonight I were a genius. That doesn't take much supposing, does it? Suppose I was a genius, super smart, knew everything. Suppose I was the most gifted speaker in the whole world. People would faint when I spoke like they did for Obama, except this time it would be for real, because that would be how great of a speaker I am. Suppose I were brilliant in math and science and history and every area of human knowledge. Suppose I had so much faith that miracles, literal miracles, would result when I simply prayed. According to our text, God says it's not enough. Think about that. Because we put so much value in what we do the things we accomplish and things we know, our abilities. And he says, without love, you got nothing. He paints a picture of a superhuman individual here, one that has all understanding, all knowledge, all ability, can speak every language, and without love, he says, you are one big fat zero. Big statements. Look at number three. Love is greater 
than personal sacrifice. Look at verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, profit of me nothing. Now here's where the rubber meets the road. Because Paul, you could say Paul goes from preaching to meddling here. Because before this, he's talking about hypotheticals. No one understands all mysteries. No one has all knowledge. No one can speak every language. No one. This is hypothetical. Verse 1 and 2 is hypothetical. But verse 3 is not. Verse 3 starts to get down to where we are. Uh, he hits our service. Giving to the poor, wouldn't you say that's a good thing to do? Yes. Dying for your faith for Christ. That's the ultimate sacrifice. What more could you do for God than dying for your faith? But as good as these things are, the absence of love, you got nothing. I'm nothing. What an amazing statement. Let's do some supposing again. Suppose you were rich enough to be generous. Rich enough to give millions to worthy causes. Suppose you could wipe out homelessness in America single-handedly. Suppose you could end poverty in Haiti and India. Suppose you could guarantee that no child in the world would ever go to bed hungry again. God says, if you do that without love, it's not enough. Not enough. Pretty sweeping statements that he's making here. The truth is that we may give to worthy causes for unworthy reasons. We might do it out of guilt. We might do it to seek the praise of men. We might do it for a break in our taxes. Whatever reason we have for giving to the poor, if we give for those reasons, the people on the receiving end will receive a blessing, but it gains us nothing at all if we don't have love. So, question for you. Would you be willing to die for Christ? That's a question I've asked myself. I don't know if you ever entertained that. Would I die for Christ if it came to that? Would I be willing to be persecuted for the gospel? Would I be willing to be ridiculed and slandered for my faith? If the answer to all that is yes, and still God says, it's not enough. Without love, it's not enough. Giving to the poor, offering yourself to be burned at the stake rather than giving a, a, a recanting Christ. Both noble actions, where they're useless, even dangerous, without love. To summarize these verses, love is greater than eloquent communication. Love is greater than spiritual gifts. Love is greater than personal sacrifice. Without love, I am nothing. I say nothing. I gain nothing without love. That's the importance God puts on love. Why do you think he puts that much importance on love? Well, the Bible tells us God is love. Uh, that's, that defines who he is. And we need to have that love for one another. Let's do some math. My, oh my, I hate math. But we're going to do a little math. Because this is easy math. Let's, dis let's multiply zero times 100. I always like these problems because the answer is always the same. Take zero times 100. What's the answer? Zero. What's zero times 1,000, Michaela? What's zero times 1,000? Zero, still. What's zero times a million? Still zero. Zero times a billion is still zero. It doesn't matter what you start with if on the other side is a zero because it's always going to end up being a zero. 
Life without love is a big fat zero. That's what the Bible's telling us here. I am nothing without love. So if on one side you have good deeds, you have education, you have great spiritual gifts, you have gallant works, you have abilities and talent, but you have no love, zero times all that is still zero. That's humbling, isn't it? Because we put a lot of stock in our think, in our knowledge, in all of our education, in all of our abilities. We put a lot of stock on that. But it's a zero if you don't have love. I'm simply saying tonight you can be smart, beautiful, strong, wealthy, educated, multilingual, and still equal zero. And this calls for us to do a personal inventory. It, it forces us to ask the question, do I have God's love in my heart for other people? Do we have empathy? Do we have, uh, are we able to look at those, uh, others in need and have God's love for them? Or are we, if we're honest with ourselves, are we falling short a little bit in that department? We just had Thanksgiving. We're a few weeks away from Christmas. We'll probably spend some time with people that we don't get along with that well. Anybody else have that issue with uh, present company? Excluded, of course, for our family. But that's what happens sometimes in families. We spend some time sometimes with people we don't get along with that well. One wife said to her husband, you hate my relatives. Her husband said, no, I do not. In fact, I like your mother-in-law better than I like my mother-in-law. But sometimes we have to spend time with those. It takes just a second to get that, okay? It's a two-step process, all right? Sometimes we have to spend time with people we don't enjoy that much and sometimes want to get even with those that have hurt us. It's easy to sink to the level of those who have attacked us but God then calls us to love our enemies. Well, that's the hard part, isn't it? We understand the importance of love as we've talked about love, but when we start to talk about having to love those that despitefully use us, love our enemies, it gets a little harder. In life, our enemies are often those closest to us. You ever notice in the Bible, the, uh, the, the second greatest commandment, what is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says to love your enemies I think sometimes they're the same people. That's probably why he listed them. Our neighbors, our enemies, those that were around. But we, love means doing things God's way. It means responding in kindness when we've been repeatedly mistreated. Love seeks to restore relationships. And I warn you, that kind of life is not easy. It's not easy to love others the way that God loves us. But uh, Jesus is love. God is love, the Bible says. And what happened to him? When he loved everyone, they still crucified him. It's not easy to live a life of love. And if you follow him, the same thing will happen to us. Not necessarily crucifixion, but it will be misused. Our love will be stomped on. We're going to be, uh, evil will be done against us. And we're still to love. I mean, we celebrated that tonight, didn't we? As we remembered his sacrifice on Calvary. Uh, he was perfect. He defined love. And yet he had to do all that suffering for us. So what's the answer tonight? Put on your love hat. Go out and love everyone that you meet. When you run, run, come up to random strangers, run up to them and say, I love you. How do, how do we act? It comes to love. Well, we read this passage. Sometimes we can put the emphasis in the wrong place. Love isn't about us. Love is about God. 
Since God is love, all true love starts with Him and comes down to us. So if we want to love better, we need to get to know Him better. And as we get to know God better, who is love, we will be more loving to those around us. When we come to know the God of love in a personal way, then His love can flow through us and our hearts can be transformed. How can we learn to love? We talked about this tonight uh, in discipleship. We had uh, giving is what we talked about tonight. And uh, giving is love. Love is giving. They're, they're interchangeable. They are one. You can't have one without the other. Well, you can have giving without love, but you can't have love without giving. For God so loved the world that He gave. God defines love and He gives. Gives freely to us. So how do we increase our love? We we get to the cross. Jesus is proof of God's love. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. We need to run to the cross. This is helpful for us even in doing communion because it reminds us of God's love for us and what He did for us. We can have that love for others as well. And there at the cross, we see real, true, agape love. Love to those that are undeserving. You and I were undeserving. Remember the words of Dr. Carl Menninger that I gave in the beginning, love is the medicine for the sickness of the world. If you want to know what love looks like, go to the cross. and You'll see love made flesh and dying for us. That's the kind of love we need to have in our life. Love for others when it's undeserved. Love for others when it's not the easiest thing to do. Phileo is easy. Phileo is being friendly with people who are just like you and you click and you got the same interests and everything's uh, working together. Phileo is just that natural liking that you have for some people. Agape is loving those who are unlovable. And all, well, all of us can be unlovable at times, but all of us know others who are unlovable. We are to love them like Christ loved us, even though it's undeserved. Would you like that kind of love in your life? Well, I would. It's not an easy thing to do, but it is ours for the asking. The love of God is the powerful medicine for the terminal disease inside every heart. And we need to have that. And Paul is so clear in this text. He takes all the things that we put so much emphasis on in our Christian life. We put all this kind of emphasis on the things that we do and our service and all the uh, checklist of, of our good Christian defining moments and and all the things that we know and how many times we've read the Bible, and he says, all of it is worth nothing without love. That's convicting, isn't it? Let's put the focus on the right thing. How's your love tonight? How's your love for others? I hope that uh, that challenges you like it did me to have the right kind of love and not put the emphasis on the wrong thing. Without love, he says it here several times, I am nothing. It profiteth me nothing without love. We thank you, Father, for the examples you give in Scripture, primarily of yourself. 